22.4% reduction. So a fifth of your blood supply coming into the bottom of your foot where people hurt when they come to talk to you and I, you know, that first thing out of bed pain that we used to call plantar fasciitis. Well, now we have a way better understanding of it and it probably is caused by footwear. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective. I'm Nick and we're on a mission at TFC to empower humans in their quest to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week I speak with Dr. Ray McClanahan. Ray is an awesome human, he's a personal friend, and I consider him to be one of the few OGs that have been spreading the truth about foot health for over two decades. Ray is a practicing doctor of podiatric medicine, and he's also the inventor of Correctos. We begin with Ray sharing the story of how he came to do the work that he does today. Uh, Ray's journey of transformation from treating symptoms to empowering patients with education is super inspiring, and uh, Ray tells the story really well. Uh, we talk about an article that he's super intrigued by lately that sheds some new light on the relationship between footwear shape, uh, blood flow, and plantar fasciosis, which was really interesting. Uh, we discuss Ray's upcoming invitation to be a keynote speaker at the Podiatric uh, Medicine Annual Conference. I think that's what it's called. Um, and sort of the seeming readiness of his profession to evolve how they treat. Uh, we also talk about the books that he's writing and the idea of an annual foot summit that unites Team Foot Health from around the world in person uh, to sort of share ideas, collaborate, uh, and work together to create some great education content that can spread truth. Uh, Ray drops some really powerful truth bombs in our conversation, and uh, I'm stoked to listen to it again to take notes when the episode drops. I really enjoyed speaking with Ray. We're grateful for Ray giving us some of his time, and uh, we hope that all of you listening enjoy the conversation. Ciao for now. Before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to share a story from our community. Amy Downs is a member of our Explorer program. I came to the TFC tribe to get out of pain. I had plantar fasciitis. I still have plantar fasciitis, but my biggest takeaway is learning all the tools that I have to keep healing. So for me, it's been largely about a healing journey and I've been so amazingly inspired by the passionate professionals that have been providing this amazing information and so inspired by all of the other explorers on the journey. I've been inspired to move more, to explore my body and how it moves on the ground, my capability and capacity, my strength, my flexibility. I've gained so much awareness of my own body, how it moves and what my pain signals mean. Yeah, it's just been amazingly life-changing and inspiring and I'm gonna stick at it right here. I'm so keen to learn more. There's so much stuff and I have the hunger to learn. If you're like Amy and have a specific foot or ankle condition, issues up the chain at your knees, hips or back, or just want to improve your overall movement health, the Explorer program is for you. To learn more, head to thefootcollective.com forward slash explorer or head to the link in our show notes. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TFC's Restore to Explore podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm Nick, and today I'm hosting 
uh, a conversation with Ray McClanahan. So Ray, thanks for being here and taking the time to share your story and share your wisdom with our community. It's great to be with you, Nick. Awesome. Yeah. So to those of you who don't know Ray, um, he's an OG in the world of foot health. He's like one of the pioneer. I would call you an elder in the space of foot health. Like I got probably like six elders that like I just learned from way back in the day that uh, we're just spitting so much truth. Like how long you been spitting truth for? Decade? 24 years. <laughs> oh my God, two and a half Literally. Decades. Yeah, Literally. that's the OG defined. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so maybe maybe a good place to start is just, uh, you know, instead of a bio, just kind of tell your story. There's probably people in our community um, who don't know of you because you and I did a podcast way back in the day, but it was like, it was several years ago. And, now, you know, our community is completely different. So if they don't know who you are, uh, maybe go into your story in as long or a short form as you want. Um, it's totally up to you. And then we'll dive into some uh, juicy topics that we can that we can chat about. Awesome. I'll keep that, that this part brief, Nick. Uh, I've been an active kid my whole life, love running, always injured early on. And um, so that's what drew me to podiatry. And uh, I, I went out to Philadelphia from 1991 to 1995, got my podiatry degree, came back to Portland and learned surgery because I thought I was going to be a surgeon. And I was for quite a few years, making a lot of orthotics, working for an orthotics lab, doing a lot of surgery. And I felt like that was the way my life was going to be until I read the work of Dr. William Rossi. You and I have talked about him. Um, I read an article he wrote called Why Shoes Make Normal Gait Impossible. And this was in 1999. And ironically, it was in a podiatry uh, journal called Podiatry Management. And it's mostly about like new technologies and making proper diagnoses and running your business. And I saw this 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 article, Why Shoes Make Normal Gait Impossible. And I had everybody on the treadmill and I was looking at pronation and early heel lift and all the stuff we're trained to look at. And this Dr. Rossi totally blew my mind because he presented some truth bombs that I had never heard of in my life. So I literally went home that night and I, I had a hard time sleeping that night because I just couldn't wrap my brain around what I had just read. And what I read was actually uh, sort of reinforcing what I had seen in Africa growing up. I grew up in the jungle of uh, Liberia, West Africa, literally uh, out in the middle of the jungle. Nobody owned shoes. And when we played soccer, they ran across gravel with their bare feet. So I, I saw some of what Dr. Rossi profiled, but he went around the world, took pictures of all these feet and said, what we do to our feet with shoes is just ridiculous. And he, he's right. So 24 years ago, I shut the treadmill off. I I did surgery for a few more years until I realized there's very few foot conditions that actually need surgery. If we can get to people early, if we could treat, uh, train them how to think of their footwear as health equipment as opposed to fashion pieces and how they present themselves to the world. Uh, so that's my backstory. Um, once I read Dr. Rossi's article in 1999, he came out with three more articles before he passed away. And he's writing these articles in his ninth decade of life. Uh, and by the way, you're probably familiar with this work, Nick, but if your audience is not, it's on my website. He wrote uh, Children's Footwear, Launching Site for Adult Foot Ills. He wrote Fashion and Foot Deformation, and he wrote Footwear, the Primary Cause of Foot Deformity. And Thanks, thanks can... Rossi. Thanks for that gift before you, before you <laughs> yes. left. Like, seriously, that's the past. That's like this tiny glitch in the matrix that allowed the wisdom to pass over from this dude who was like a unicorn in his day just made it through the information passed on to the digital world and then you are you are the wisdom keeper that now hosts that like insanely intuitive and seemingly obvious if you understand the body sort of truth 
Um, but yeah, thank you for finding that. And thank you, Rossi, for writing it. Cause that's like yeah. a huge part of why we're here right now. Absolutely. I'm so grateful for Dr. Rossi. In fact, if it weren't for him and reading his work, I'd probably still be doing conventional podiatry. Mm. And, uh, so I'm so grateful for him and I, I, I wish I could have actually met him. I never got to meet him in person, but he, he is my mentor without it, without a doubt. Amazing. And, um, so, you know, even today, um, within the context of North American podiatry, because I know that there's people that listen to this podcast from different parts of the world. And, you know, I've sort of seen that a podiatrist will do different things, you know, like the, the slight nuances in the word and the different geographic places can make it a very different thing. But let's, let's talk within the context of North American podiatry. What is compared to what is taught in schools and compared to maybe let's call it conventional um, podiatry, how does your approach to podiatry differ? Like, what are the biggest ways that the way you um, work as a podiatrist differs from what maybe the status quo conventional, what you're probably going to get way of working uh, is? I'd love to kind of hear your perspective on that. Mm, yeah, thanks for that, Nick. Um, the way I describe it to folks kind of requires a little bit of background of the various branches of medicine. I'm sure you're familiar with these, maybe your audiences as well. Uh, allopathic medicine would be our MD doctor who prescribes medications and um, and then you've got your chiropractors and your physiotherapists and your naturopaths and so forth and so on. Um, so podiatry in North America, at least especially in the United States, although to a lesser degree, I think in Canada as well, is a form of allopathic medicine. So in other words, I was trained that if you had heel pain and you came into my clinic with heel pain, I would offer you treatments to make your heel pain go away without necessarily considering why you got the heel pain to begin with. So when I started, when I read Dr. Rossi, I started like talking to other branches of medicine, particularly physical therapists, physiotherapists. In fact, a lot of my early influence in terms of not cutting people's feet was slow progressive rehab approach that your community teaches and taught me. Um, but if you start to understand that, uh, allopathic medicine is very different from naturopathic medicine. Naturopathic medicine has a principle called toli causum, which is Latin for find the cause, right? Address. Wow. The root. I did not know that. That's yeah. so dope. Yeah, it's totally dope. Um, so most of my close medical friends right now are naturopaths. So th that's the difference. When people come in, I don't automatically put them up in the treatment table and push on their painful spot and then give them cortisone or a pill or cut them or artificially prop up their arches with orthotics, which I've received a lot of training in, I, I take a slow, natural approach and educate them about how did they get to my office to begin with, right? Um, and it's oftentimes not what I'm trained to tell them. I'm trained to tell them they're in my office because they have a genetic problem, or they have an overuse problem, or they have a biomechanical issue. Um, I wasn't trained to tell these people that you're probably also here because your shoes have been doing several negative things to your whole body for your whole life since like age two. So I would describe my work uh, as naturopathy, natural podiatry, functional podiatry, holistic mm -hmm. podiatry, complementary, alternative, however you want to describe. It's basically, uh, I'm going to start like root with cause podiatry. Exactly right. I love that. I'm going to start with that. Not to say that once we talk about shoes and gait and so forth, that we're not going to treat them because we very well might. I still give cortisone. I still do surgery, you know, small stuff. Um, 
because sometimes people do need those things. But that would be the distinction, I think, Nick, between conventional podiatry, which is allopathic versus natural podiatry or root cause podiatry. Yeah. And it's like, there are so many tools that, you know, you, I think sometimes it's easy to get binary where it's like surgery is all bad or it's all good or orthotics are all bad and all good. And I, I think people like those simple dichotomies because it's, they're easy, but it's kind of lazy, right? Because a tool, uh, you can't really say whether a tool is good or bad outside of context. That's like, that's like my thing with food too these days where family, my family's always like, oh, it's good for you. It's not good for you. It's like actually nothing is good or bad outside of context, right? Like if you have a pizza once a year and it brings you huge joy because you have it with your friends, do it. If you have pizza every day, there's going to be a problem. So, you know, the idea that you wouldn't use the tools that you're trained to use is kind of like silly. It's like you use them within the framework of the understanding that the body adapts, that people need to make real changes, not just like treat symptoms and that's it. So... Yeah, I mean, so many people, I think, think that the Foot Collective is, uh, you know, like butting, likes to butt heads with podiatry, but it's like, we're best friends. We're, we love all feet people because at the end of the day, we're all on team foot health, trying to help people have healthier feet. Um, and, and you know, I'd love to know, I don't know how much you can uh, talk about it because it haven't, hasn't happened yet, but I know that you're doing, uh, you're speaking uh, as a speaker for your professional association, which, um, you know, I guess, number one, did you expect to be invited to that? And number two, <laughs> are you going to be holding back or are you giving the solid truth? <laughs> I'd love to know. But, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I, I used to belong to the Oregon Podiatric Medical Association years ago until I realized that they were basically at that time um, quite a bit different than what Dr. Rossi was influencing me in. So I, I did drop out and I hung out more with the naturopaths, like I mentioned, but um, a month or so ago, I think my uh, medical assistant came to me and she said, um, the president of the uh, Oregon Podiatric Medical Association wants you to be the keynote speaker this year. And 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 then she said, and this is when I kind of I really went sideways. She said, they want you to do they want you to lead a barefoot run on the beach. Oh, my good. Googly uh, moogly. That's a, I know. That's great. I know. And I looked at my medical assistant. And I said, it's April Fool's Day, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was it? No, no, it wasn't. It was okay, like a couple okay. couple weeks before or after April Fools. But um, gotcha. so you might know this that podiatrists are literally trained to tell people never go barefoot. Right. Yeah, I hear yeah. it all the time. I heard it last week. So the idea that the my local state association wants me to lead them barefoot on the beach. Um, I mean, this I'm really excited about it, and I'm not going to hold back. There's nothing to hold back. You know. Amazing. In fact, uh, I could just. <laughs> talk to them like I'm talking to you right now, because it's just so straightforward, right? You know, it's like this message needs to be heard. Um, how, how much they'll be able to implement it, I don't know, but um, definitely yeah. excited about it. Dude, that's so cool. Congr I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for podiatry. I'm so happy for every podiatrist that gets to go on that run with you and listen to you talk, because I really, I really think, I don't know, is it going to be recorded by the Pod Podiatric Association? Um, could be. Uh, we we might record it too. We oftentimes record stuff and make videos out of. Yes, you, know, you should definitely record it. I will okay, line good. up with my popcorn to watch that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just so good to hear that things are kind of like there's an opening. We talked about this when we chatted uh, last week. It's like there's an opening where that people are have a bigger. It seems to me that people are more ready to hear this now, and it's like, I, you know, I can only imagine how that must feel from someone who has been beating this drum for so long. And, you know, one thing I'm curious about when I'm done this thought is just like, how hard was it for you to implement this on a business model? Because I think that's fundamentally what we need to address. 
Um, but how does it feel to someone who's like, <laughs> like it's been so long, right? No one's really yeah. been listening to you and you make so much sense. And you're even the way you talk about this is like, you are so clear um, and, and articulate with being able to communicate these things so effectively. Like you can tell you've talked to hundreds or thousands or, or, you know, tens of thousands of humans about this. And I just think it's so, it's just so fitting that you're the one to bring it to the profession and to really like help the profession, you know, move into the, you know, the way I view it is like allopathic is old world way of doing things. And it's kind of on the way out and we're transcending beyond it to the new way, which is help people help themselves. Um, so how does it feel? And, um, yeah, I guess, do you sense that, that, uh, like how hard was it, how much faith do you have that they can implement these things or is the business friction, um, going to be a big thing you think? Yeah. Thanks for that, Nick. Um, I, I have heard, I don't remember the exact statistic, but something along the lines of when something new scientific comes along, it takes, I don't know, 20 years or whatever for people to actually embrace it. So uh, thank you for saying that. I'm really grateful that people are s starting to become open to these ideas. Um, you bring up a super valuable point, which is the real struggle that I have talking to my podiatric community. It, it is the business model, you know, because in, in America and to a large degree in Canada as well, we're surgeons, right? So mm. uh, the selective foot surgery is generally not going to be something that a lot of people are going to pay out of their pocket for. So I think to do natural podiatry, you really have to seriously decide whether or not you still want to be a surgeon. When I started doing natural podiatry and I dropped out of all insurance panels, I still had some folks come in for major surgery just because we had a really good relationship. But I think, um, I think the current podiatry business model makes it very, very difficult for people to embrace what you and I are, are teaching and advocating for. I'll give you an example. I've got a really good friend who is uh, part of some of the podiatry associations that I, that I belong to. We've spoken uh, at conferences together and led workshops. And um, he said to me a couple of years ago at a conference, he said, Ray, I like, I like the correct toes. I see that they help people. And, um, but at the same time, his Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance company was paying him $1,000 for a pair of custom orthotics, as opposed to him dispensing a toe separator in his clinic. And you know, our product, the, the uh, profit is like $32. So uh, unfortunately, education to become a podiatrist is long and expensive. Nowadays, we've got all of our, all of our residents are now getting three years of surgical training. So if they're the typical podiatrist, they've got four years of undergrad, maybe indebtedness, then they've got four years of podiatry school. Now they're going to go to three years of surgical residency. So I, I, these, these residents circulate through my clinic. And so they tell me the realities about um, their debt and so forth. So yeah, it's not just a matter of saying, well, this really does make good sense. And now we have robust scientific evidence to show these principles are true. It, it really is the business model. Um, I read a quote, I think it's uh, Sinclair Upton or it's one of these dudes from like the early it is, 19th. It is. Okay. I love the quote. I might mess it up. It's something along the lines of, um, you can't expect a man or a woman to understand um, understand truth if their income is derived from them not understanding it. Right? Perfect. So, if, and that's that's essentially what's going on. It's like... Whether or not you agree with this, um, you, you have to make a big enough change in your practice to implement it. And I think that 
that's probably why it's so much easier for physiotherapists, chiropractors, naturopaths. They, they don't have the obstacles that podiatrists do. So when I speak with them, they're like, oh yeah, we're on board. Um, it's, it's, it's straightforward and clear. It's, it's the allopathic model. That's really a challenge to the naturopathic presentation. Yeah. They almost become these mutually exclusive things where, you know, the, the, there's very little on a philosophic principle basis. There's really not much overlap because the foundational assumption I think that you're making in naturopathic is that the human body is a self-healing adaptive, um, self-organizing system like believing one system believes in the innate intelligence of the body to do what it's supposed to do when given the right inputs the other one essentially makes the base assumption that the the body is flawed doesn't know what to do and we exist to fix it um and it's almost like they're incompatible base assumptions so the systems can't actually harmonize very much because you, you kind of either pick one or the other and you know the golden handcuffs is that you just spent a whole lot of money a whole lot of energy to get this title that allowed you to do this thing, it's really hard to admit that the thing that it allowed you to do maybe isn't the best thing to do for everyone. And obviously, uh, this is no knock on the people or what is being done. Like we're always, I believe that everyone is doing the best they know how to do at any point in time, straight up. And anyone who goes into the world of helping people with their health is literally going into it, you know, to help people and they're doing the best. Um, but yeah, I can like, you know, one of my favorite quotes is show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. And, and unless you can create a system of financial incentives that helps people um, help themselves instead of being paid to be the solution to a problem they can never solve because everyone has to solve the problem for themselves, um, it makes it difficult. And like Andy Bryant and I kind of had this natural podiatry podcast that we did some episodes of and that project really... We're, we're rolling that project into TFC Pro because we realized that like instead of just doing something for podiatrists, why not do something for everyone that includes podiatrists, includes physios, any health professional who has a degree with a scope of practice. Um, let's create like this foundational, for lack of a word, curriculum, uh, lack of a better word, rather curriculum where everyone understands these base principles. Everyone treats differently. No one is told how to treat, but everyone agrees on these fundamental principles so we can all speak the same language and have generative discussions together. Um, but yeah, just the idea that the old way of podiatry is like you provide a product and a service, right? The product is, um, you know, maybe orthotics or, you know, treatment modalities. And then the service portion is either like surgical, uh, or allopathic where it's like, you know, you have same thing, you have orthotics, um, but the, you know, the service of creating orthotics, but you know, it's like if you switch those to instead of the service being treatment of symptoms, the service was education and the product was tools that help people restore their natural foot health, like natural footwear, toe spreaders, um, balance tools, whatever it is. You know, it seems like there are ways to port over the product and service stack right now that's currently used to a natural world. I think it's just the you know there's a hurdle to shifting the entire way you do business right and like as someone who overcame that hurdle and made the jump over to sort of the other version where you know the the service is education and the product is tools like footwear and correct toes p.s people listening if you don't know ray is the inventor of correct toes so this is this is the dude um you know how did you overcome that hurdle and is there any if there's a podiatrist listening who's like this sounds legit ray's an og he knows what he's talking about I'm ready to, you know, move and, and do the hard thing to get to the other side. 
what advice would you give to that person? And, um, you know, what do you wish you would have known when you did the process maybe? Yeah, I, I think a critical feature for me was to drop out of all insurance, <clears throat> which I think is a huge obstacle for a lot of practitioners. I'm coaching a lot of podiatrists through that right now. And it's difficult um, hmm. and they're scared. In fact, um, I'll quote one of my friends from New York. Uh, he's got so much trepidation that he doesn't want to dive in. He wants to dunk his toe in and see what this non-cash non or non-insurance based world is like. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. And the way we describe that to our patient population is the only thing that's going to change here is who sends in the bill, right? So, uh, when I got out of school, I had office staff, two or three of them sending the bill to the insurance company, and then they'd either pay it. Well, first they'd chip away a bunch of it and not pay you what you charge. Then they'd say, oh, well, you didn't use the right code or, oh, send us more paperwork or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so I tell Friction. that, I t you're, oh, oh, always, you know, and, and when I first went into private practice, I contacted these insurance companies and I asked them to send me a fee schedule and they wouldn't send me a fee schedule, but they wanted me to sign a contract saying I would like, I would. I would let them make the rules, but they're not even going to tell me what they're going to pay. And I actually had the good fortune of um, meeting another podiatrist, uh, not personally, but online. Robert Kornfeld from New York said to me and all the other podiatry community 25 years ago, he said, if you're unhappy with your insurance company reimbursement, why are you signing up with them? They're not, they're not in the healthcare business. They're in the business of business, right? So, um, the way I describe it to my patient population is several things. One is um, instead of us sending the bill, you're going to send the bill. Um, but what you're going to get is you're going to get an hour of education. You're not going to get eight minutes of, you know, poke on the tender spot. Here's your shot. Here's your pill. Come back and get orthotics. We're going to do surgery. And a lot of people want that. Mm -hmm. um, the only difference would be, uh, out of network. So some insurance companies will penalize the patient for seeing an out of network doctor and make them pay a little bit more of their bill. The other way I describe it to the patients is very unlike my first podiatry practice where I had people come in two, two, every two to three months, they're having their calluses shaved off, which now we know we can cure them. So I tell them it's unlikely that you're going to spend a lot of money in my office. You're probably going to come here and see us one, maybe two times, get all the information, change your footwear, start rehab, start the rehab process. And I'll probably never see them again. And, and when I do, this is really gratifying. One of the things I've always been curious about is when a patient doesn't come back, did they not like us? Did they not like the outcome or did they get better? You know, so we try to follow up with them, but oftentimes we'll see somebody 10, 15 years down the road for a different problem. And we'll ask them what happened with that other problem. Oh, it went away. It was, it got better, you know? So <laughs> put yourself out of business. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the other part of it too. It's like, so if, if you think about you're paying cash one or two times to get the information, that's going to help you take care of yourself for the rest of your life, as opposed to the way you put it a moment ago, which is perfect. Um, outsource your health authority to your podiatrist and have them dictate and direct how often you're going to come in and for what treatment. Yeah. And it's expensive. I mean, even your co-pays, uh, if you have a high deductible, um, people in conventional podiatry are still spending boatloads of money outside of their yeah. insurance. So, so um, yeah, it's a, that, the way, that's the way we describe it. We describe it to the patient, we don't want a third-party interference at all. Um, your insurance is your insurance. We don't want to fight with them. We want to take care of you and help you better yet take care of yourself. 
And not everybody likes that model, um, but there are enough people that like that model that we're busy. And you've heard this said a million times, I'm sure. When you do good work for somebody, especially in healthcare, they, they talk about it. They tell you know, all their friends. <laughs> they totally do. They totally do. So and their if family. You, right. So if you cure one person out of the practice, you're going to have a boatload of other people wanting that same outcome. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's really, you know, that's the funny thing where some physios even, uh, you know, when we ran the clinic in Ottawa, I'm pretty sure Mike still runs it this way. Uh, it's like a movement education facility. So we don't see the same patient very many times. And from the like to a physio running a business based on the volume model, they're like, well, you're how do you have a business that continues if you're stopping seeing people? It's like, well, they tell all their friends and there's no shortage of people suffering. Um, so there's not going to be a shortage of people come to see us. In fact, you know, you have people like Andy in Melbourne, uh, who does natural podiatry. It's like, he can't even fit more people in a schedule. Like he literally is tapped out in the amount of time he's wanting to see people in person. And, you know, I think that's how you get rewarded for effectiveness. And then it's just supply and demand, right? If you're really good at what you do, like, I really think this model of fee for service where you get paid every time you see someone for providing a service. You know, it's not an easy thing to convert to a fee for outcome model because we don't even have really accurate outcomes. I mean, they can be really simple. Um, but if at the end of the day you got paid to help someone get better, um, you know, it, it's it's one of these things where if we find a middle ground where and I think it sorts itself out in the free market, because if you're really good at what you do and a shitload of people want to come see you, you keep putting your price up. Um, per unit of time until you find the equilibrium where it's like I'm doing as much as I want to do and um, I'm getting paid for my energy sort of thing. But I think, you know, just the notion that if we can solve the business incentive problem, I think that's a huge hurdle that if it comes down, way more people start to be more open minded. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're trying to do with Pro is like you curate a group of professionals who made that leap, who got to the other side, who are, you know, hopefully earning more for their skill set, right? Because really, if you're just a technician, you just get paid for your time. If you are really good at what you do, you get paid for your ability to help a lot of people. Um, and, you know, even when you look at like the digital world, giving people access to tools that they can access digitally so that when they come to you, they get the most out of your time to just fill the go fill the gaps of what they couldn't get digitally. It starts to become this thing where like, you can actually if, if your primary tool is education and education can be sent to anyone digitally anytime for free, you can help way more people without it costing you your time and energy. So yeah, hoping that it, it seems like things are shifting. I'm, I'm so excited to catch up with you and hear how that barefoot run goes, because uh, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to, to hear how many people were like genuinely open-minded, how many shut down and um, just your, your fear, your um, feel from it. Cause it sounds, it sounds super exciting. Yeah, it, it, it does. And I definitely will let you know how it goes, but there's another uh, feature of that that I find kind of interesting. And it might've been Golden Harper from Ultra that I was talking to recently, who said the irony of that is these are people that are wearing big, huge shoes with orthotics. So the idea that I want to take them out on the beach and have them go barefoot, uh, we agreed that maybe a short barefoot walk might be appropriate, but not yeah. a barefoot run for the majority of the population. And True. That, could be a, that could be a bad move. Well, I think so. And I think that's why barefooting has received such a bad rap from podiatry. It's like, you know, yeah. as well as any of us, that people don't do it properly. You know, this time of year when the weather gets nice here in Portland, 
we've got the beach an hour away. And so right. people have been in their big boots. It's rains here all the time during the winter. They probably haven't been that active. The sun comes out, they go to the beach, they either wear a flip flop or they go barefoot. And next thing you know, they've got a couple miles under their belt. And then they end up in my office next week and that with the bottoms of their feet hurting. And I'm like, well, what did you do? And, you know, as I shared a moment ago, I, I used to tell them, well, you should never go barefoot. But now I know it's a training error. It's a lack of adaptation. Yeah. You know, so it, it is quite exciting. And I will let you know how it goes. But I, the first thing I'm going to do is temper their enthusiasm with the reality that it might not really be a good idea. I like the fact right. that they're open to it, but it's something it's like all the other good work we do. It's not it's lifestyle type work, yes. you know, not overnight success. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe like a, a walk and talk would be better. Yeah. Um, cause you know, from the outset, I mean, it depends how kind of people these, you know, podiatrists are, but it's like, it would be like saying, saying to someone, Hey, let's go try benching in the gym for the first time. Cause no one's benching. They're like, Oh, that's interesting. You just load everyone up with three plates. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's going to go real well. <laughs> Not <laughs> maybe a lot of people will get hurt. Um, stakes aren't as high, but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, podiatrists only hear from people who tried that and still have pain, right? It's like exactly. Everyone that went barefoot feels great. Doesn't go see the people <laughs> exactly. who are there to fix your feet. So maybe a biased sample size there. Um, when we talked a week ago, you were talking about how there was an, you know, I was like, what are you interested in these days? What are you looking into? And what are you curious about? And you had mentioned an article that you were going, you're just zoning in on and found it super interesting. So I'd love to hear, you know, which article is it and what in particular fascinates you about, um, about that article? Yeah. So I've got it right here with me, Nick, uh, passive hallux adduction decreases lateral plantar artery blood flow preliminary study of the potential influence of narrow toe box shoes. So it came so out of the journal. Just from, from perfect. And I guess one request and you may have done it anyway. So sorry to interrupt if you were, but like for the average person that knows nothing of any, uh, anatomy terms, uh, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. So what it means is these researchers purposefully took people's big toes and they shoved them up against a second toe. Okay, um, which so is what word, conventional footwear will do to pretty much everyone. Everyone, no matter how wide your toe box is, it's always widest at the wrong part. Um, yeah. So essentially, when they did that, they purposefully pushed these big toes into the position that most people's shoes hold them in, to your point. They used a, an ultrasound machine to document the blood flow coming into the part of the bottom of the foot that usually hurts people with plantar fasciosis. So this is what blew me away. I sort of not to sound boastful, but I sort of had an inclination this was going on. You can sound boastful. You can. You should, well, I think. <laughs> another another smart podiatrist, very smart podiatrist that taught me a ton, um, believe it or not, published in 2003. So 20, how many years ago is that? 20 years ago. Uh, you, you're probably familiar with this article. I think you and I talked about it when we were on the podcast previously. Uh, Dr. Harvey Lamont took 50 of his patients with plantar fasciitis, and he thought he's going to he did a plantar fasciectomy and took part of the plantar fascia and looked at it under the microscope. He thought he would figure out what kind of inflammation was there. Mm. Well, um, his article that got published in 2003 said that there was no inflammation in anybody. There was dead tissue. So as soon as I read his paper in 2003, I stopped calling it plantar fasciitis. The other thing I should tell the audience is Dr. Lamont is a dermatopathologist too. It's a fancy medical term for somebody that looks at tissue specimens under the microscope to come up with a diagnosis. So yeah. he, so that's his wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's world renowned at it. Uh, I think he might've been retired by now, but at the time he published that article, he said, there's no inflammation. So we should stop calling it 
uh, fasciitis. So I stopped calling it fasciitis. I started calling it what he called it. He didn't know why at the time. He All he knew it was dead tissue. And what was so confusing is a lot of these people are young people and you feel the pulses in their foot and they're, they've got plenty of blood flow coming in until they put their shoe on. Wow. So we did yeah, a whole bunch of graphics, isn't it? It, it? I know. And like you and I talked about the other day on the phone, um, the implications for this are massive. Um, certainly not just for the athletic population that you and I probably most serve, but you think about these folks that are getting parts of their feet cut off from diabetes and so forth. Anyway, when Dr. Lamont published that article, I was thinking about doing a Doppler study. So for the audience members, it's a machine that you hold against a pulse and it gives a pulse characteristic. And I was thinking that if I did a Doppler study, I could show that if I pushed people's big toe towards a second toe, it probably would cut off blood supply. I never got around to that. The researchers actually used an ultrasound machine, which is probably better. And, uh, and yeah, 22.4% reduction. So a fifth of your blood supply coming into the bottom of your foot where people hurt when they come to talk to you and I, you know, that first thing out of bed pain that we used to call plantar fasciitis. Well, now we yeah. have a way better understanding of it and it probably is caused by footwear, you know, so that, God. that just, it, it blows my mind literally, Nick. Yeah. And it's, I, well, first of all, I love that you're still getting, you're still getting your mind blown. Cause to me, if I was you, I'd be like, freaking told him so, you know, for 20 <laughs> years. Uh, but it is nice to see, you know, the confirmation, I guess, um, in literature. And I think academia is like, they're kind of, I kind of look at them as dinosaurs. Like they're cool. Yeah. They used to be like really, you know, a thing, but now they're not really a thing because all the information at all times available to anyone on the internet. It just depends on how good you are at vetting information. Um, but it's probably nice to see it kind of trickle in there. It, you know, just as you were saying that, I kind of had this, you know, I was going to bring this up before. It's like the way I look at footwear in future is like our feet, as people learn that feet are important and they matter and that's all the suffering or most of the suffering that people have related to feet is actually preventable and they want this stuff. It's like, what if instead of going to a sports store where you know, an 18 year old kid is selling you some Nike um, people. The standard is people go and see a podiatrist to buy their shoes, right? Like what if the product offering is like, okay, you used to make orthotics that we put in people's shoes. Well, if you zoom out, it's like, why don't you take, why don't you include the shoe education in your approach? Because instead of buying shoes from the sports store, every person you treat should be buying shoes either from you where you can let them try them on. And, you know, you don't, I know firsthand selling shoes is a pain in the ass in terms of the inventory, but just the idea that like you, a couple shoe companies can come up to you and say, Hey, here's a demo run of this shoe. Uh, if you want us to keep these in your office and people try shoes on with you and they buy them from us, we'll ship them to them. And then you get paid for the service of showing them the shoes. Obviously you got to work out kind of like where are the incentives are because you don't want to be you know, I think if people never sell something they don't believe in, I think you're good. Right. But at the end of the day, if people went to the feet people, the podiatrists to get their shoes instead of just something to put inside their shoes, it's like it's one of these ironies where like almost every foot problem has as a primary contributor footwear that people wear. I'm not saying it's the only cause, but it's like huge. Um, and so so the cop the problem that's causing most foot problems is footwear but also the solution to helping people solve those problems one of the big ones is footwear um so i guess how do you i would love to hear how you're approaching the conversation of 
footwear, uh, natural footwear with the patients you see? And, you know, how long do you usually have to talk to uh, about footwear with them? And um, sort of what are you saying the first time you see someone uh, to give them like a primer? Someone knows nothing about natural footwear. They're coming in with like, you know, some super pointy Nike cross trainers, which they think are really good for their feet because all the marketing says they are. Um, what does that first conversation look like? Yeah. So the first thing we do is we bring them in, we take their shoes and socks off. We pull the insoles or the sock liners out of their footwear that they brought with them or their orthotics. If they're coming in with orthotics, super feet, arch support, whatever. And we take a picture of their foot on top of that. And a lot of times I don't even say a single word. I come into the room, my medical assistant's already got the picture and the patient's sitting there. I greet them and we, we look at their foot on top of that sock line or orthotic and they say to me, Oh, my, my shoes are too narrow. My shoes are too small. And, and so then I get into it. I show my daughter's footprints. I've got two teenage daughters, but at birth, um, over here at the hospital, they stamp their footprint and ink and put it on the birth certificate. So I point out to the patient, um, did you know that 99.9% .9 of all human beings born on this planet are born with the widest part of their foot, the tips of their toes. And, that kind of gets a conversation. I can kind of see they're thinking on that a little bit. Then I pull out my baby shoe and I show them that my baby shoe was widest at the tips of the toes. Um, and then I point out that we make shoes for babies and infants that are shaped like feet for a year or two, right? And then we start selling them miniature versions of adult shoes. Uh, so then I, um, I ask them, if you want to confirm this, get your birth certificate. And I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll see that you were born like that too. So then I tell them rather than using that metal measuring device, the Brannock device that you see in all the shoes. In fact, you and I talked about this cause you talked about working on a new system. Um, I tell them that if you go by that system, you're going to be misled frequently. Um, shoes are made all over the world. Uh, one shoe in a size 10 is going to fit you differently from another company in a size 10, uh, even amongst the same brand, a model can differ from another model. So, I literally try to tell them, uh, and it takes re-education over and over and over. I, I tell them that um, don't go by numbers, don't go by letters, don't go by if it's for a man, if it's for a woman, don't let the shoe company categorize what, what sport it's for. Pull the sock liner out. If you're going to use a toe separator, put your toe separator on and stand on that sock liner. And if your whole foot's on top of it, then the shoe won't do anything negative to you, at least, at least in the in this um in the um transverse plane you know so without getting into the heel elevation and the, t and the toe spring and so forth so that's how we start the conversation and it's really interesting I'll, I'll share a real quick tidbit this is super gratifying for me and this family i had a i think it was four or five year old little boy come in with mom and dad and one of my colleagues here locally told them that need, he needed an operation because his toes were overlapping and they didn't like the look of it. They wanted to see if they could get it fixed when he was young. So they, they went to one of my colleagues who talked about the surgery that I used to do tons of, which is cut open the whole toe, release the ligaments, cut out part of the joint, put a pin in it or a screw or something along those lines. And obviously no parent wants that done on several of their child's toes at age four or five. So I started having this conversation with the family. And the dad interrupted me and he's like, no, this doesn't have anything to do with his shoes. This runs in our family. His uncle has it, his grandpa has it. And so I, I stopped talking. I pulled the sock liner out of their son's shoe 
I superimposed his foot on the sock liner and and didn't say another word. Word, and they just looked at it and they went, "Oh, oh, it's way too narrow for him." Well, the gratifying part of this story, Nick, and I think I think we've captured this on our blog, is we fitted him for a, a pediatric toe separator, and 18 months later, he was cured completely on one foot, complete cure. And um, it's rare to cure things in podiatry. Uh, you know, we treat a lot of things and we sometimes make symptoms get better, but it's rare to actually cure something. So, um, yeah, that that's how we have the shoe conversation. Once we have the shoe conversation, I do empower them with what you just said, which is you may not need any treatment at all. You might just need to choose your footwear better and do a couple simple, simple strategies. And um, so that's how I talk about the shoe piece. Once the shoe piece is covered and we look over all of their shoes and for the most part, everybody here in Portland, um, unless they've already read something about this or found some uh, off the beaten path brand are coming in with Nike, with Adidas, with Reebok, with you know some of these other companies that we, you and I both know are doing negative things to their feet. So once the framework is laid, um, we, we do give them a diagnosis, we talk about treatments, and then we have a shoe store right here in the clinic. And to your point, it could be a pain in the butt, and it's more of a community service than a business model, um, but it, it absolves them of the need to go out in the community and try to fight through all of the opinions about what is best for their body, say from the 18-year-old shoe clerk that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's it's such important information that it's... Uh, <laughs> I think we just don't understand how important feet are. So we don't understand how important the information we get about the shoes we wear or how we take care of or don't take care of our feet. We don't understand how important that is, right? We can't, if we don't really care much about feet, it's not a topic of conversation. People don't know how important they are. Therefore, there's no attention paid to them. Um, but it seems like that's kind of changing. Like the, uh, you know, the, the shift that we had in clothing to athleisure where people were wearing Lululemons and things that were actually comfortable and you could actually move like a human being in. I think that shift is coming in shoes where people will look back at what we wore on our shoes and uh, on our feet. And we're like, who remember when we wore things that destroyed our feet. And then we went in to get treated for having our feet destroyed, <laughs> which was like to cut them open. And they never told us the things we were wearing or damaging our feet. I think we look back in a decade and we're like, oh, remember those days? And I think that's going to be, it's going to be a better world. You know, people are going to be more connected to themselves, healthier, move for longer. You know, I'm getting real into pickleball these days and I love seeing older people playing pickleball. I love seeing people who aren't very good movers go and move and play and have fun. And yeah, I just think it's like a, so many people are suffering with foot pain. Um, reducing the world's suffering is a worthy endeavor that I think is, I find meaningful. It's like so many people can be helped to have their suffering reduced if we just teach them what shoes to put on their feet uh, and sort of how to take care of their feet. And it is like, it's such a big opportunity. It's a huge problem, but it's such a big opportunity. And I think, you know, in future, there's so many things that a united front in podiatry um, in like practicing in the natural way can do, right? Like, the old notion, you know how they have on toothpaste, like recommended by dentists. It's like, why don't, why couldn't there be a certification created, which like you've already got a rating system uh, in your business that's basically rating shoes. Like, why can't we standardize that, put a legitimate stamp of approval on certain shoes and have shoe companies be incentivized to create shoes that respect the function of the human foot? I think, I think opportunities like this are coming. We just need one company to kind of lead the way. It's obviously a hard sell because once they have that stamp, 
not having the stamp insinuates you're damaging people's feet. So it's like a, you know, it's kind of like Kodak, right? Like Kodak didn't make digital because all they did was film and then they got wiped out. And it's like, I think it either has to be a new shoe company or a shoe company that's really open-minded. Um, and I'm just excited for when that time comes, right? And it's like, I think uniting the foot health front from around the world, this, anyone who's solving the foot health problem in their own respective way, like we're, we're not competition. We are essentially allies in this battle and the battle is, is foot pain. It is no company. It is no profession. It's like the, 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 the people we're fighting is foot pain. Our mission is to help people get out of foot pain and actually just move towards um, foot health. Because I think treating pain and helping people have work on healthy feet are kind of like fundamentally different things. Um, but yeah, I'm, do you think that'll ever happen where there's like a seal of approval and you see a panel of podiatrists be able to provide that? And, uh, do you ever see a day where insurance companies, instead of paying for orthotics, pay for two pairs of shoes a year? Um, because to me from the outside is like when, when the, the people, when the experts start to take that approach and they have some power to kind of put truth to the insurance companies, it's like, why wouldn't they say, well, you want to keep gathering um like people's monthly dues and you want to pay out less therefore you're incentivized you would think like all the bureaucracy and bullshit aside you think they would be incentives incentivized to have their the people they cover be healthy then they don't require as much treatment and who knows maybe your premiums even go down which is what should happen but do you ever see them being like okay we had a two thousand dollar orthotics for our allowance for orthotics we'll give you a thousand dollar allowance for shoes but you have to buy shoes that are have the stamp of approval by these OGs in the world of foot health. Do you think that'll ever happen? I'm, I hope it does. Yeah, I think it will. And I think it's going to be guys like you and I and people like us to make it happen. I don't think it's going to happen in conventional podiatry. In fact, Andy Bryant and I had a similar conversation to this one when we spoke last. Um, and it's the same in Australia as it is here. Uh, and I learned this the hard way. I was working for an orthotics lab, uh, Northwest Podiatric Labs, also Superfeet, the over-the-counter product. And... Um, the marketing director came up to me one day and he said, because they did have the seal of approval from the APMA, the American Podiatric Medical Association. Interesting. Um, and they, he, he said to me, do you know what you have to do to get the APMA seal of approval? And I and I said, uh, I, I assumed he was going to work walk me through this long list of criteria and there's smart people testing. And and I said, no, what is it? He said, it's a $5,000 check. And I said, you got to be kidding me. So That's sad. It, well, it's really sad, and I think it, it misleads the public so that when I, d I don't doubt that that's also going on in dentistry, like with Crest, I wouldn't I wouldn't oh, doubt sure. that it goes on maybe with everything. you know, so <laughs> I think I think there will that day is happening and it is coming. And I think it's going to be uh, people like us. I don't think it'll be conventional podiatry. Um, but there was another layer there that I was going to share with you. Um, uh, it's it's escaping me right now. Seal of approval, podiatrists coming together. Team Foot Health. Um, yeah. Um, maybe it'll come I, back. Yeah, I apologize. Um, but I do think it'll happen, and I think it's starting to happen. Yeah, me oh, too. Oh, I, I remember what it was. Um, I was talking to a podorthist from Asheville, North Carolina, Scott Socha, I think is his last name. We had a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And he's got an idea that I've uh, tossed around for a while now with different folks. He wants footwear companies to have to put a seal, a warning label on their footwear. Yeah. 
you know, so if, if you're going to have good luck tape, getting that done, but I like it. Yeah. Right. So if you're going to have the tapering toe box based on, you know, what this article says that he yeah. wants the shoe company to say, if you're going to wear this kind of a shoe, your, your circulation is going to be less. If you wear a shoe with a heel, your calf muscles are going to get shorter. If you wear a shoe with a toe spring, you're going to have ball and foot problems, these kinds of things. Um, There'd be a lot of writing on those boxes. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also there's two things that also happened recently that I thought were kind of fundamental. And I want to talk to the ladies in your audience about this. There were two lawsuits launched. One of them was in Victoria, British Columbia. The other one was in the UK where employers were forcing their female employees to come to work in fashion dress shoes. And both of these ladies revolted. They both launched a lawsuit. They both won. One of them changed the rules surrounding, I think, um, disability or workers compensation the other one caused some other kind of a lot of change but it basically was they just put their foot down and said no we're not going to deform ourselves anymore literally and put their foot down yeah yeah so uh, i hope more women find the true value in their foot health as opposed to just how their shoes look um and like i say i think it will happen but i don't know that it's going to happen in the near future yeah, I mean, things in the technological world, things move quick. So I think that they would, would probably happen faster than we think. But also, there's still some friction to kind of overcome that. And, you know, the funny thing is, is like in the free market world, having this stamp that doesn't really mean much if you don't know much about it um, might be tough. But like, you know how I, and I don't even know if I, I haven't even verified this, but I think one of the big shareholders of Subway um, is doctors and like that's a long rabbit hole of whether Subway is healthy or not, but I think it's healthier than McDonald's, let's say. Um, and it was funny how like a, a big group of investors was a doctor's investors group. You know, it'd be funny if a, a po podiatry, podiatrist investors group basically created an online shoe store that only had shoes that f fit the criteria. And if you submitted a receipt from that web store to your insurance company, you had your footwear covered because it was actually recommended by podiatrists. And like you said, you need a way to vet that, but it's, it's funny how sometimes you don't even have to ask permission or have this thing approved. It's like, just make a solution and put it out there and share the story with honesty and like probably a shitload of people will buy shoes from you because everyone buys shoes. It's one of these crazy things where, you know, everyone buys shoes every year because number one, shoes mostly are built like shit and they're not really designed to last. Number two, they literally mess your body up. So the idea that we can, you know, I, I think there's a lot more of this happening, but fostering innovation where shoes are made better, better for the world, better in terms of being able to last longer um, and actually are made in a way that supports your foot health. Like not only doesn't mess it up, but actually supports like the restoration of that um, you know, I'm just, I can't wait till there's like an OG shoe company that comes out. I mean, there's a lot of them, but mm -hmm. just the idea that like you, the Yvon Chouinard way of making products where they're literally every time one was defective, he would have it sent to him. He would send back a new one and he would keep that and be like, we need to fix this. This can't be a weak point anymore. So after enough reps, you just make clothing, which is what shoes are clothing for your feet that doesn't break down. And if you take feedback, you make shoes that don't mess people's feet up and yeah, like that sizing endeavor was a lofty one. I, you know, it's kind of shelved because there's only so much energy. Um, you got to kind of prioritize. But the idea of having like a universal footwear size where you just measure with a ruler or a tape measure the length and width of your foot at the widest part at the, you know, which should be the tip of your toes. Like 
why can't you just go buy a pair of shoes in that size? It's so, you know, it, mm -hmm. it seems so obvious that like, yeah, I want to be able to measure my foot and buy a shoe in the size that I ordered. Uh, you can't do that. You can't even do that within the same brand, like you said, which I find just like mind blowing and stunning. Um, so, you know, maybe that podiatry group or like team foot worldwide, maybe it's footwear companies too. Maybe it's like a coalition of companies that create a project is like, Replace every Brannock with just a tool to measure your foot according to standard units and have somewhere people can go and know they're getting good footwear. It's like that seems once we get these foot summits going, we'll be able to have conversations with a bunch of other OGs and we'll get it going. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's people like us that really care enough and are still excited enough. And I like I give you so much kudos because it's, you know. You've been doing this for so long. There's been so much resistance to it. And you still have, when you talk about it, you're still excited about it and you're still going with it. And you haven't like lost faith in people's ability to actually think clearly, despite having all the re reasons to think that. Um, so yeah, thank you. And, and, you know, is there anything you're doing differently in your clinic today than you were um, a year ago, for example, there might not be, but I'm always curious to ask that. Yeah, um, we're implementing more diagnostic ultrasound for one. Um, and that's kind of exciting to get to learn about that. Um, let's see what else new here. Um, yeah, we've implemented um, Golden Harper's new insole. I don't know if he's talked to you at all about it. Bridge soles, I think they're called, or bridge insole. Cool. It's a transitional tool, and I love it. Um, so we're, we're that's a new product that we're sending out. Um, I'm a big, huge fan of metatarsal pads and, you know, helping the ball of the foot do its job until it gets strong enough. So uh, using more Golden's product, um, that's probably all that's off the top of my head that I can think of that's new, Nick. Um, what about yeah. the books? I know you're contributing to two books. Um, yeah. Whatever you can say about them. I'd love to just know, like, what are they about? And um, what is motivating you to to write? What is motivating you to contribute to them? Yeah. So the folks I've been talking about book projects with for the longest are Dr. Robin and Dr. Marty Hughes. I don't know if you've met them. They're out of Asheville, North Carolina. They've got a business called Natural Foot Gear. So we've been friends and colleagues for years, and um, we've been chipping away at this book project. They were actually just out here not long ago, um, and we're still chipping away at it. We've We've got a lot of questions in our mind in terms of are we going to self-publish or are we going to go with a publishing agency and so we're still soliciting opinions from various people who've written books we might partner with katie bowman she's got a printing company so we've got that conversation going on with her awesome. um yeah uh so robin and marty are uh not only busy with their business they've had a couple of other challenges in their life right now so that project is is uh kind of on the back burner. We're going to pick it back up again when things settle down, but um, awesome. it's most of the work is done. Most of it's already been written and what it, it will be, uh, it'll be a self-help guide, you know, and, and, and you'll appreciate this because this is, this is who you are. Teach people how to take care of themselves. You know, and yeah. obviously it'll cover all the stuff that we do in our work. Um, I'm also going to be doing a book project with Chris Duffin, um, Kabuki strength. Yes. So, um, we're carrying his his product here, um, and he just came out with a work boot too. I haven't got to wear it yet, but that's been one of the categories of footwear that I've been needing for a long time. Oh, well. really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I got to talk to him about that. That is so necessary. Totally, uh, totally right. Um, so that's one of the remaining categories where when the firefighters come in and the and the construction workers that need that safety boot, there's nothing good. Um, now there is right so um definitely yeah talk to talk to chris about that. <laughs> obviously so chris Duffin's doing point, that i've said for 
I've said forever, like we need a construction boot, but no one is going to be crazy enough to make something different. <laughs> I'm so glad Chris is doing it. Okay. That's good to know. Sorry. Keep going. Took care of that problem. Yeah. No problem. Took care of that problem. So, um, yeah, so we, uh, I don't know the timeline on the book, but we did agree that we're going to write it together. And basically we're just going to tell our stories. And I don't know if you already know this, but he already wrote a fantastic book. Um, yes. The Eagle, and, the Ser- Eagle and Serpent. Is that what it's called? I think so. so. Something along those lines. Yeah. I read it a yeah. while back. It's like, it, it is, dude, that, that guy, if you want to know how a human like that is forged, uh, it's not yes. by the easy path. And if you want to see how crazy the forging process can be to create a human like that, that deadlifts a thousand pounds and it's just like so friggin' smart and ambitious, like read that book. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you're working on the book with him and yeah. just you telling your stories? So far, obviously, we'll incorporate a lot of this stuff too, like what's good in a shoe, what's not good in a shoe, when might you need you know, uh, contemporary podiatry versus when might you just do lifestyle stuff and get well. So again, no timelines on that. Um, he's, I'm, I know he's busy. You know, I've visited his business a couple of times and I'm not sure what all is going on over there, but there's like all <laughs> kinds of things going on. There's, there's training and he's got a chiropractor there and he's like, building these things and making his own products as you probably know so yeah he's a super busy dude so i'm not sure when that when that will take place that's all right we're patient and what matters is that it's in the works and it you know two people that commit to something uh you're gonna follow through on it i i think there's something you know like obviously if it's a decade later and it hasn't even started maybe that maybe it's like all right like chris <laughs> let's do this but at the same time it's like good things take time uh everyone is prioritizing and when the time is right for you to both put energy on it, I think it's going to be a badass book. And um, yeah, I want to honor our 60 minutes. So we got three minutes left. I guess one of the, um, let me see what I had on my list here. I think that was pretty much it, actually. Talked about the article, talked about what motivated the books. Um, Ray, thank you so much. I mean, literally, you're getting ready for work. So thank you for carving time out of your day. I, I literally enjoy every second that we we talk together. Uh, really stoked to kind of keep pushing the mission with, you know, team foot health, um, and be able to organize something every year, you know, like this notion of doing an annual foot summit where all the whole team from around the world, anyone working in feet or footwear, or, you know, helping people restore natural foot health can just come and spend time together. I'm really excited for when that happens. And, you know, until then, good luck finishing the books. And if people want to know more, uh, about you or the work you do or access your, um, like the William Rossi articles, uh, where do they go? And maybe that's a good place to wrap up after that. Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Nick. Um, uh, correcttoes.com, www.correcttoes.com, um, for Rossi's articles, um, footwear education and so forth is a good one. We've also got a clinical website, but probably for the articles, the correct toes website would be a better one. Amazing. Thank you for all the work you do. Thanks for giving us some of your time. To everyone listening, uh, thanks for being here. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. Check out uh, correctos.com. And uh, Ray, maybe we do another one of these in like six months and see where it's at. Because yeah, I think it was too long since our last one. I agree. Thanks so much, Nick. Thank you for all the work you're doing as well. No worries. It's always a treat. Ciao for now, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, join our brand new free community. 
Inside you'll find a growing library of education, training and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way. To join, just head to thefootcollective.com or you'll find the link in our show notes.